Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. So like at 41, I said to myself, I'm never going to get higher than I got, you know, and and I'm never going to get as high as I was. And this is what my life is. And I have no idea what my life could be if I put work into recovery. I was like, so like, why don't I just try that? Because like I had nothing. Uh, with with using and I said why don't I just try that so like by the time Chris died I wasn't like considering using I, I I'm not I mean like I don't consider using like my life is so much better and I only have six years sober at this point you know and like and it's only because I'm sober like I, I it's only because I do I try to do the next right thing and I engage in the program and I and I don't f- that up you know so like my life is getting so much better only because of it so like relapse was not on the table around that like i wasn't like damn i wish i could get fucked up it was like just like damn i wish this hadn't happened inside the 5150 studios this is knocking doors down a podcast about those who have overcome their most adverse situations be it mental health addiction or any other sort of things and found success in their lives this is your host, Jason, and I, of course, I've struggled with some alcoholism, some childhood and sexual trauma, but doing great things along with Uncle Mikey. Hi, everyone. Uncle Mikey's had some troubles as well. Yeah, what are you going to do? He struggles a little bit with anxiety from time to time as well as, well, you know, sometimes you were a shithead, but hey, so who isn't? Welcome to the club. Yeah, happens to the best of us. And our guest this week, uh, Dave from the Dopey Podcast, podcast that I love, great guy, and uh, you know he's kind of in that community of of getting out there and, and talking with people about addiction and mainly war stories is what of his, his podcast covers a lot of, and he's had some different celebrities on there and some cool stuff. So we kind of get into his story. He also tells us about the uh, tragic relapse and subsequent death of his co-host Chris. Uh, they did some great work together, but Dave has carried on, never missed an episode. So we uh, get into his story and uh, so much more. Yeah, definitely a good listen. And then stick around after the episode because we'll be talking about things like Mercury's in retrograde, <laughs> excuses that people make when sometimes I can't. shitty stuff happens. I can't. I can't either. Uh, but we thank you guys for listening to Knocking Doors Down. Please subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeart, wherever you're listening to us. Please give us a subscription and uh, tell other people. That's how we continue to grow. And, of course, if you like to watch the uh, video version of our interviews like Uncle Mikey, where can they go? You can go to KDD Podcasts. YouTube KDD Podcast. Because I like to look. I'm a visual guy. Yeah. I'm a visual guy. And that link in the description, kddpodcast.com, takes you to all of them. And, of course, uh, we are swagged out, as always, with 5150 LTM gear. You want a lifestyle that's all about uh, turning your life adversities into your advantage? Well, that's what the 5150 Mm -hmm. way is all about. And listeners of the Knocking Doors Down podcast, you get 20% off all your purchases. How, Jason? It's pretty simple. Click that link in the podcast description for 5150LTM.com and use the code KDD20. What is it? KDD20. Sick. This episode of Knocking Doors Down is brought to you by Recovery in the Middle Ages, a podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. These guys are hilarious and informative, and they're brought together by their common struggle. Mike and Nat get to know each other's addiction story on air 
and realize they have more in common than they thought. Find Recovery in the Middle Ages on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, and MiddleAgesRecovery.com. That's MiddleAgesRecovery.com. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Welcome into Knocking Doors Down from the Dopey Podcast, one you guys got to check out if you haven't. Uh, Dave, what's going on? Good, sir. What's happening? Living the dream. How are you? <laughs> Living the dream. That's right. Uh, hey, I got to ask real quick uh, for those, of course, on YouTube can see it, but are listening. You got an 1888 hat. What's the significance of that? Oh, I work at a very famous deli okay. uh, in New York City. It's called Katz's Deli, and uh, and it was sta- founded in 1888. So it's funny that you asked me. I was like, I'm not going to wear my Katz's hat because <laughs> I don't want to give them too much press. And, of course, that, you asked me about the hat. Oh, <laughs> little product well, placement there. I see you. <laughs> I just don't, don't want to, like, look balding on your, on your video, so I wear the hat. Oh, uh, well, I was I was curious. I didn't, you know, New York's got so much cool freaking history. I haven't been there in 25 years or so, something like that. So I was just curious, but uh I could always edit out the name cuz they don't sponsor oh. either of our podcasts, right? Yeah, fuck them. Take out the name. But if you ever come to New York, if you ever come to New York, I'll buy you a sandwich. Hell yeah. Well, we'll have to do that for sure. What would we have? What's California sushi? Uh, fuck if I know. Tacos, tacos, tacos. California. We do got some bomb ass tacos here. That's for sure. Tacos and like that, uh, that California fresh, whatever, like right. seafood and fucking healthy shit and all that good stuff. <laughs> Avocados. For, for potential and... haters, I'm aware that sushi does not come from California, <laughs> let alone America. But I'm just saying California does have some bomb sushi. But there is some bomb tacos. So if you ever make your way out here, there's a good taqueria that I will not mention because they don't sponsor us. But we'll go there. <laughs> we, we I would love, love that. I would love to go to this non-mentionable topic. <laughs> it's very, yeah, very exclusive. <laughs> we shall not mention it. Uh, Dude, I lived, I lived, I lived in California for for years, what? and uh, and and they had Taco Tuesday down the hill, and like tacos were like a quarter, yeah. and like those were those were good times. All Laker another fans. undisclosed taqueria. <laughs> All Laker fans right now are like Taco Tuesday. Thank you, LeBron James. Uh, where in California did you live? I lived in Echo Park and I lived in oh, North okay. Hollywood. Nice, oh, okay. nice. No ho. No ho. Yeah, it was it was nowhere. When I when I was there, it was like fucking bad. <laughs> I, I I was in really bad shape that I might as well have been nowhere. When oh, I was there, it's still the same, and I feel you. I lived in Hollywood. I lived right off Hollywood Boulevard, so I totally get what you're saying. So you said you mentioned that that you weren't in a good place. Was that kind of where a lot of this shit started for you, falling into your addiction, or did shit start way early? And it was like I'm gonna get out west and I'll get cleaned up, kind of mentality. No, I mean like 
I was in rehab in Florida. Like my, my addiction, like my addiction kind of started with weed in New York and I was mm. a great classic New York pothead and it turned into heroin and, and it got really bad in Manhattan. And then I, I eventually got shipped to Florida and when I got shipped to Florida, I know I'm jumping ahead, but when I got shipped to Florida, the the counselors in the rehab told my parents not to pay my rent. And I lived in low income housing in Manhattan. I had a, a beautiful apartment that was 300 bucks a month. And the counselor convinced my parents not to not to enable me. So I was like, I'm going to move to California because I have friends there and I can't really afford New York if I'm not paying 300 bucks. And so I went from rehab in Florida to Los Angeles um, one of, to, to live with two of my oldest and best friends, one of whom I used a shitload of drugs with. He promised me he wasn't doing heroin, but what he didn't tell me is that he had just started smoking meth. So oh, when fuck. I got there, the meth arrived and like that was just the beginning of a whole other thing. Uh, yeah, no, man, I'm off the H. No worries. You're good. But, hey, I got this other shit that uh, – fuck, man. I had a roommate like yeah. that, too. They were all like, oh, we're so proud of you that you stopped smoking weed while they're snorting Oxycontin. And it was just kind of like, I, I well, uh, whatever. I, you know, what are you going to do? It was it was an attempt. You know, like my attempt in that situation was to go to California. Like I had produced television in my early 20s in Manhattan. Oh, right and in my imagination, I was going to go to California and I was going to just smoke weed and I was gonna get a job in LA producing a show and I was gonna make it really big. And uh, I got a job kind of associate producing a show and my heroin addiction kicked back in so strong that in the bathroom, in the second drawer in the bathroom, I, I just kept needles in the in the public bathroom in there in the office, like a crazy person. <laughs> I mean, it was so bad. Like the stories I could tell from LA, like it was, uh, I was working on a show called nine on the town which was kind of like this bullshit like you know you eat a little bit you go to the taqueria you see the marina the marinas and like all that kind of like like magazine style show sure. right and um they hired me to to like they wanted to do a story about wiccans <laughs> so i i had all these wiccans come to our house because we could get a location fee out of it. And I was like deep in, in addiction. And all of these witches came to our house while my roommate's parents were there. And I was like totally nodding out into oblivion. It was just one pathetic thing after another. I didn't I didn't hold on to that job very long. And then I was just unemployed for many years in LA. Oh, fucking shit. Just man. couch surfing yeah. or what? No, my girlfriend, I had a girlfriend. God bless her. Um, she... Came, I met her and I actually she was my best friend's girlfriend. It was a really kind of terrible story. She was my best friend's girlfriend and uh, and we like had an affair, me and her. Right. And I couldn't live with the idea of her going back to him. And I had just started using heroin like in earnest then. And I, I like said, you have to leave him and come be with me. And then my whole heroin addiction really ramped up because of guilt, I think. Mm -hmm. And then me and her kind of went our separate ways, but she was from California and I was like lost. And I said, please come live with me. And she basically took care of me in Echo Park for another six and a half years. Oh, and wow. it was like, I, I was on methadone and, uh, you know, kind of by downtown LA. Right. And, um, and basically, I was like a house cat in her house. Like, I didn't work. All I did was get 
Macedon and, and Copto open. It was it was sad. Sad mm. days. Tough yeah. times. Yeah, that that classic codependency, right? The uh, she she wanted to save you to fill herself, and you just wanted to continue to get high. I just didn't. Yeah, I wanted to continue to get high. Like I didn't see what was happening. I was so I was so hypnotized by the lifestyle, but not in the, the not in the way you'd imagine. I was just like, like I'm the kind of drug addict that I don't think I would have made it in the streets very long. Mm. Like I need cable TV if I'm using. <laughs> I need like ice cream sandwiches if I'm using. I was like the kind of heroin addict that gained weight on heroin because I would just lie around and eat and fucking smoke weed and 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 still shoot dope. But um it was uh it's terrible because I also took her hostage. And, and, and she was a great, great person, and she probably still is. The funniest thing was that we broke up in around, uh, I want to say, 2007. And I swear to God, within like a year of breaking up with me, she was like the vice president of a company. She was like making almost $300,000 a year. And now she's retired and owns a house in Woodstock and has like a beautiful life. So I'm happy she got away from me. It, it worked out. Yeah. Did she use as well? When no, she together? was just a stoner. She was oh, just a stoner. Okay. Like a really prodigious stoner, and I'm sure she still is, but she didn't fuck with heroin or pills or anything. Got you. Yeah. Well, you talked about smoking weed. What what point did you really start your uh, foyer, so to speak, into any sort of drug use? I was very late. I was a very late bloomer. I grew up in Manhattan. I went to this amazing uh, public elementary school and public high school and I, I wasn't interested in doing drugs at all. In fact, when my best friends would tell me about them doing drugs, I would think that they were like posers. I was like, you guys are fucking posers. Um, but then I found that when I drank, it made me really nauseous. Like mm. I was the kind of alcoholic where like when people say uh, they would get sick when they would drink, or they, like they had an allergy. Yeah. I actually like was allergic. Like I would drink and I would get really sick. And I got a job at a summer camp and the last night, like I was a waiter, and I had a miserable experience. But the last night, I, uh, I I was invited to a party with the kitchen staff, and they were all European. And I probably drank seventeen screwdrivers, and I blacked out, sick as fucking hell. And I, I knew I couldn't drink. And I think the next year, I, I smoked a little bit of pot, and I was like, I really like how that feels. Right. And um, I was probably like a junior in high school. The first, no, I, I was a junior in high school, and the first drug I did was acid at a Grateful Dead show at Madison Square Garden in 1991. I guess if you're going to do acid, that's what better than a Grateful Dead concert. Kind of makes sense, right? I wasn't even like into the Grateful Dead. I actually interviewed today. I interviewed Jerry Garcia band tour manager, this guy called Big Steve Parrish, right? Oh, no shit. I'm like like a devoted Grateful Dead fan at this point. Mm -hmm. But back then, I did not give a shit about the Grateful Dead, and I just wanted to like try acid and hang out. Right. I mean, my like my drug addiction didn't kick in until I got to college and I just became a stoner. Like I was in a band. I felt totally isolated. Like I didn't have friends. I felt like totally alone. And I had one friend and he loved smoking weed and I liked smoking weed. And I was like, I'm in college. I should smoke pot every day. And uh, and I did. And I probably smoked pot every day from that first day till I was like 40. You know what I mean? Wow. With with a million other drugs coming in and out. And I, I messed with psychedelics in college and I would I would take whatever kind of showed up. My heroin addiction didn't start until my 
early 20s. I guess I did heroin for the first time in school too, in college. But I was like, this is too strong. It was too, I like being a stoner. Like I miss being a stoner. Um, I just kind of, I kind of gave it, I, I, I remember when I was in rehab, I wrote, they have to write a letter to your drug, right? right. And I think what I wrote was uh, that heroin was the dirty whore that stole my beautiful girlfriend away from me. And my beautiful <laughs> girlfriend was weed. You know what I mean? In, in my mind. Yeah. So that was the beginning. So as a situation, uh, how many time attempts at rehab did you go through? Was it just the one in Florida or was there others? I probably went to every public detox in New York, like uh. literally, like probably I've been to like, I would guess 25 detoxes between New York and LA uh, where I would do it for a week because I would be too sick and I would be too broke and I couldn't handle kicking. Right. But in terms of proper rehab, I went to a proper rehab in florida it was called renaissance and now it's owned by the karen foundation it was like a big time fucking oh, wow. rehab rehab and i went to uh a kind of shitty rehab in upstate new york called cornerstone and i left there with a dude um my roommate was this guy from long island that would steal cases of semilac from walmart and then sell them at the bodegas and he would and i never snored i never shot heroin at that point and he was like you're a fucking idiot it's like he's like you're wasting all this money and he convinced me to leave treatment and and me and him and i had money at home and we we left treatment and we went back to new york and that's when i started uh shooting um was just leaving with some random guy um and then i shot dope for like another seven years or something Fucking shit. Huh. But, and then the last time I went to rehab, I went to uh, a place called Mountainside in Connecticut, and that's where I met Chris. Yeah. And that was my last uh, experience in treatment, and that was in 2011. So then that was a, just a total cleanup at that point. Uh, everything, all drugs, pot, everything. I, it was meant to do that, but it didn't do that. Mm. That was the plan. That was the plan. You know, <laughs> my, my story is really about like, when I was in California, I found out that my mother uh, had gotten leukemia oh, and I was on like 150 milligrams of methadone and um, I didn't want her to die of leukemia while I was like a mess in California. Mm -hmm. So I made the decision to get off of methadone in Los Angeles and I did it slowly, like over seven months. Hold on, I'm sorry. And um, I did it super slowly. It's uh, my dad's apartment has phones in every fucking. Office, so. um, they still have those in New York. <laughs> dude, when when we started doing dopey, okay, me and Chris would come here because I I left Manhattan and I live on Long Island. Chris lived in Boston, and we needed a place to do it, so we would do it in my dad's apartment. And I, he has two phones in the kitchen, two phones in the living room, two phones in this room, and two phones in his bedroom. And he doesn't understand that that's a problem. Like, and it's like, it's like, it's like the beginning of back to the future. When the phone rings, it's like all the clocks. Chiming. Right. <laughs> like, hell, Does he like, have hell. the doc Brown oh. hair? Cause that'd be extra fucking awesome. No, no. My dad is a very debonair, uh, older Jewish man. He's very, he's very together. My dad. Um, but, uh, what was I saying? Like, so I, I, I wound up kicking methadone in Los Angeles and I came home and I got to spend, uh, I don't know, like four months with my mother, which was like amazing that that could happen. And I didn't get clean, right? And um, I was smoking weed 
I, I would I, I was I was kind of as they say dipping and dabbing, but I was just smoking weed really, and um, and then she died, hmm. and I met this woman, and within six months she was pregnant. Oh, okay, sure. so so by the time I got to 2011, we had a two and a half year old baby, and I was shooting heroin again, and uh, and I had to go to treatment. So I got out of treatment and I tried to stay sober and I tried to go to 12 step meetings and stuff, but I really didn't want to stay sober. Like I just wasn't, it didn't fucking penetrate my head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just, I wanted to be sober, but I didn't want to stop using and I didn't want to take suggestions and I, I just wasn't ready, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I kind of fucked around in Manhattan for a while and I worked at Katz's and um, I was a waiter. Okay. I was, a, I was actually a manager at Katz's and, and I was such a fucking mess in the restaurant on heroin. I would like eat food off customers tables and I would like pass out while working. And it was really, really bad. And they fired me and I went to treatment. And when I got back, I became a waiter and, um, and I was funny. Like I would fuck with the customers and I would be mean to the customers and we, we, we decided to make a web series about it. And it was going to be called The Last Jewish Waiter. And it was about a waiter who hates waiting tables and he wants to have a talk show. So he does a talk show while he waits tables. <laughs> and um, and we did that. And there was a lot of interest in it. And like the guys who made Anthony Bourdain's show oh, sure. gave me a deal. And they like and I and we made this sizzle reel that wasn't that good. And I went to L.A. to pitch and um and I was so trying to get my family back at the same time. Yeah. Um, but my wife found out that uh, that I was using and she was like, we're not we're not going to get back together. And that's when I realized I had to get sober. It was at that point that um, I, I, really I got sober because I was so obsessed with the idea of getting my family back together. Ever since my, my daughter's mother left me, I was obsessed with getting her back like I had been obsessed with heroin or, or weed or anything, but more so because I felt like it made me a bad person yeah. that I wasn't with my family. And like when I say I woke up in the morning and I thought about them and when I went to bed at night, I thought about them and all I thought about all day was them. And all I would talk about with my friends was how do I get them back? What can I do? Blah, blah, blah. Everyone, nobody wanted to see me because it's all I would talk about. And in the end, when she found out I was using um, I went to AA, but I went to, and I shouldn't say that I went to 12 step fellowship and I went to the 12 step fellowship because I needed help with obsession more than anything. Wow. I, I had heard so many times that, uh, we can be relieved from the bondage of self and, and our obsessives, our obsessions can be lifted. And I needed that. Yeah. And that's why I, I went to AA. And it was around that time that Chris, Chris was really interested in the last Jewish waiter because uh, I had gotten all sorts of attention and like all sorts of magazines had written about it. And Chris liked attention and he was like, what can we do? And I was like, you can't do anything. But then we decided to start Dopey and that's how it all started. That's nice. pretty cool. Jumping back a little bit is interesting because you talked about the, you know, isolation and your only friend being, uh, you know, another dude that smoked weed. Do you think that's kind of what for you? It's always interesting if if people trace back 
what really started them in, in it? I know for me, late bloomer, alcohol really didn't play a role until like 22, 23, 24, and it really was to get relaxed. Uh, these people that are pretty cool that I enjoy are drinking, and then, you know, started doing radio and being around rock stars, and you're hanging out backstage, and like, you know, you want to drink, and, you know, so for me, it kind of came later as well. Was it... What, what, did you feel like kind of a kid growing up? I, I think we would have gotten along because I went to film and television school. So uh, did you just feel kind of isolated all throughout life? Or what really do you think it was for you? No, it's funny. It's like I was somebody, I mean, that could have been my story really easily. But when, when I was in elementary school, I made a, a couple of friends that I was like, I, I held them close to me like it was drugs. Like mm -hmm. I, I like leaned on them like I leaned on drugs and and I used them uh, for my identity and um, and I and my school went from when you're four till when you graduate high school. Oh wow! So I was with these guys that whole time. So like I only really felt that fe and I remember like that kind of feeling that you're talking about. I would feel it, but I would ask I would ask them to sleep over. I would sleep at their houses, so I never had to deal with that feeling of crazy loneliness and isolation and like fear. You know what I mean? I knew it was there. Like when I was a little kid, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would be scared to death, but I used my friends the way I wound up using drugs. And when I got to college, they were gone. Right. And that's when, and that's when it all came out. It's interesting, actually. I, it's, it's, it's weird. It's almost embarrassing to, to be so dependent on people like that. You know what I mean? Sure. I, I don't know so much as a kid because I think I can really relate to that too and resonate because I definitely did that not with just friendships but relationships too to give me identity and and then I didn't have to deal with myself by myself you know which still can be a fucking struggle from times where you know I, I think you've even busted my balls about it like you just don't want to be like when my kids aren't there it's you know and we're working it's like Oh, fine. You did your work day. You can leave now. You know. I love being alone. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer that, to be alone. <laughs> but that's a great thing. Like, like, I I struggle with it. I'm I'm finding ways to deal with it just by putting different things in place to to make me not feel so alone. Sure. You know what I mean? There's so many things that I can do that that I I used to feel very like I you know when you say I like to feel be alone you don't it's not that horrible lonely feeling it's a good oh feeling. yeah yeah no for sure mm. there's enough going on up here in my head that uh i'm not really a lot there's a lot of shit going on up there so it's just like i can watch tv but i'm really not even watching tv i'm just kind of staring above it thinking about everything which probably is why i have crazy ass anxiety too now that I think <laughs> about it, but you know but yeah i'm alone but i'm not lonely if that makes sense Right. I'm getting the hang out of like, I have two kids now and I'm like, I'm getting the hang out of like getting the hang. Is that what the expression is? Getting the hang of getting the hang of enjoying <laughs> my time that I'm not with people. Like it's right. starting to happen now, which is, which is great. Right. Um, but in school, like I had a similar thing. Like when I started out, when I was producing TV, like all I would do is cover shows like musicians and concerts and stuff. And I wanted to be like them. Like I had a fantasy in my head of being like them yeah. and like, you know, the idea of like beatniks and being cool and like fucking doing what I wanted and being revolutionary, like that shit really appealed to me. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that very, very much. So I know what you're talking about. 
More coming up with Dave from the Dopey Podcast on Knocking Doors Down. We talk a little bit more about uh, how he f- totally found sobriety, stayed sober through his co-host Chris's relapse and unfortunate death, and some of his favorite celebrity interviews, and interestingly enough, how he got some of those interviews working at Cat's Deli. Recovery in the Middle Ages, a podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. Hosts Mike and Nat brought together by their common struggle of addiction. They get to know each other's addiction story on air and realize they have more in common than they thought. They discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step, alt-recovery, the newest medical research, and with honesty, humility, and a lot of humor, talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings. If the neighbors only knew. Find Recovery in the Middle Ages on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, and MiddleAgesRecovery.com. That's MiddleAgesRecovery.com, a proud sponsor of the Knocking Doors Down podcast. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. So let's uh, fast forward again, jumping back, meeting Chris. Uh, what was the point where it's like, you know, hey, fuckers, let's, let's, you know, let's put this thing together. You know, obviously, I know there's, I, I don't remember where I read, but obviously, you know, Howard Stern based in New York, that type of stuff. I know that was a huge influence for me in my radio career. Was it just kind of like, let's just be the two guys that we are and do this thing? You know, was there any laid out plan or was it just for fun? Well, um, I wanted to be like a talk show host since I was a little kid. Like literally, like I remember I would get up and I would go into the kitchen and my mother would be listening to 1010 Winds, which is an AM station in Manhattan. And she'd be listening to this guy called John Gambling. And the show was called Rambling with Gambling. And he just kind of sat there and he'd give like financial advice and talk about the day. And I remember saying to my mom, this guy's got like the best job. It sounds so relaxing. You know, he's it just he made me feel relaxed and I loved it. And then like Regis Philbin, like I would watch him and I would be like, yo, this guy makes me feel so relaxed. And he would make fun of everybody. And, right. he, you know, it just seemed like so much fun. And I, and I never thought that I could do that. You know what I mean? Like when I, I never I never put it together in my head that I could actually do that. And then and then when I was doing production, like I worked with a dude who was a crazy Howard Stern fan and I never fucking liked Howard until I was forced to listen to him. And then like, I became like in love with Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. And like, I was like, Holy shit. I love the way he does it. And I mean, I loved Howard so much that I created a fake award to go on the Stern show. Like I went on the Stern show lying to Howard. Hi, I was high on fucking speedballs. <laughs> Um, but so when me and Chris, like 
were talking about a podcast. Uh, it was just for fun. Number one, it was there was nothing. There was no fucking thought that we were going to make any money or it was going to be anything. It was just I needed something to do. Like my band had broken up. The last Jewish waiter had imploded in my stupidity. I got into fights with everyone I worked with. The, the, the company dropped us. And Chris was like, what could we do? And Chris was brilliant and super funny and a crazy drug addict. And, um, and then I had this other friend years before, this editor who lives in Los Angeles. And he was like, we should do a podcast about drug stories. And I was like, dude, you don't have any drug stories. And he's like, well, I'll get celebrity drug stories. And I put that in my mind. But I never used it. And then when Chris said, what could we do together? I just stole my friend's idea. And I was like, let's do a podcast about <laughs> drugstore. And, um, and I said, and I said, and he goes, you mean like a recovery podcast? And I said, no, it's just going to be about war stories. And it's going to be so much about war stories. We're going to call it war stories. And that's it. And then so he came over and we looked it up and there was a podcast called War Stories about like military entanglements. <laughs> And um, and then we had this big debate about what it should be called. And um, and I said and, and we came up with Dopey and we came up with Dopey because it's I mean, like when I talk about this, it makes me feel really happy, to be honest with you, because it was just like such a glorious and I love Dopey. Like I fucking love Dopey so much. Yeah. Um, it was a glorious moment. And I miss Chris, you know, sure, but yeah. me and him were, were hanging out and there was a uh, thing about the word dope. You know what I mean? Like, I love the word dope. Like, in the early 90s, like, dope as a hip-hop expression of something being yeah. cool, I like. Yo, that shit is dope. I like that. And then um, I was walking to Katz's every morning on Clinton Street, and there'd be these Dominican kids wearing these black hats with gold letters. Like, not like gold stitch letters, but actual letters made of gold or metal. You yeah, know, yeah, probably I know not. exactly what you're but talking it would say, about. Yep. Yeah, it would say dope. And I'd look at this guy... And then all of a sudden I would hear my grandfather's voice and be like, look at this fucking dope. Like, like he's an idiot. Like, like, like dope is an idiot. And I'm talking to Chris about it. And I'm like, we should do something with the word dope. And he's like, he's like, how about a couple of dopes talking about dope? And I was like, I was like, no, let's just call it dopey. And it stuck. And it was like, and then, and then we sat down and I said, he said, well, should we get gear? And I was like, nope. I was like, don't get anything. And I was like, this is what we're going to do. Because I had been like fucking around with GarageBand, like trying to record mm. music and I never had a mic or anything. And I could record like decent shit just on the Mac onboard mic. And I was like, dude, if you buy any fucking equipment, we're never going to do anything. You're just going to waste your money and we're never going to do anything. But if we build the whole thing just using the onboard microphone, like we have we've lost nothing. We've, we've, we've been like in our lane. And then when we need to get equipment, we'll get equipment. And he was like, all right. And we recorded the first 50 episodes of Dopey on the onboard Mac <laughs> mic, you know? And, and, and he was like, well, what do we do? And me being this Howard disciple, I said, don't worry. I said, I'll take care of it. You just tell stories and talk to me, hang out with me. And we just did it like that. And like, I wound up making fun of him and he liked it. And and he had ridiculous drug stories, and and that was that was how it started. And it's pretty great because you've been going five years now. Five and a half. It'll five be six years in in, in in December. 
so speaking of Chris, and I, of course you would miss him doing so much time with him, but uh, his was a pretty shitty situation, how he fell back into his addiction and and his passing. So for, for those that are kind of catching on that maybe aren't aware of the podcast, it, as you said, you and Chris did the show together, met in rehab, which is kind of one of those cool fucking, you know, stories of how, you know, when we get clean and we can really create bonds, um, but unfortunately, my understanding was he had an injury and then pain meds and that led him back into his. It's it's so mysterious. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I don't know exactly what happened. You know, I mean, if you trace back, right, you can find that he went. He Chris, first of all, we have to just say this about Chris. He was uh, getting his Ph.D. You know, he was going to be a psychologist, you know, working with addicts. He was working in a school as an intern, kind of like counseling children. He was working in a sober house in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. He was engaged to this very beautiful woman who went to Harvard Medical School. He came from a very like stable and prosperous family. And um, and he knew everything about addiction, drugs, recovery. Like he knew all that shit inside and out. He didn't know anything else, but he knew all like he. Chris didn't know the difference between like Prince and Queen, like for real. Like he didn't know the difference. He didn't know anything about pop culture, music, anything, but he knew everything about all this other stuff. And what happened was, I, I, I think what happened is what happens to a lot of people. He, um, he stopped going to meetings and he was dishonest. You know what I mean? Like, like, to, to make sense of what happened, yeah. I can't give you details, right? Sure. I can say that he went on vacation. And I, I only say that because I don't know. Right. Um, he went on vacation with his girlfriend uh, to the Caribbean. They went to a gym. He wanted to impress her with how high he could karate kick. And he said he tore something in his ass. That's what he said. He, like, hurt his ass. And, um, and that was probably eight weeks before he died. Um and supposedly he's, he got pain pills in that period. And then I know Chris was a fucking terrible drug addict. And in the end, he had fentanyl in his system. He had coke in his system. He had alcohol in his system. I think he had benzos in his system, you know, and, and he kept it all totally hidden, mm-hmm. um, totally hidden. You know, Artie Lang from the Howard Stern show. Absolutely. Met him once. Yeah, the last time I saw Chris alive together, we were on our way back from interviewing Artie Lang um, on the ferry back from uh, Hoboken. And I was in Artie's apartment with Chris and the two of them were high and I and both of them were supposed to be sober, right. you know, um, and that's like it's fucked up. You know, uh, the only again, a, a bright spot for me is that. The night before me and him were fighting like for weeks before he died, because, you know, when you're using heroin, you tend to be moody. You tend to be a dick. You know, you can't kind of help. It's like almost impossible to not be a dick when you're using. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was. And also, though, it has to be said that throughout Dopey, we didn't miss an episode, you know, from the first week we started till this week. Like we've never missed an episode, even when he died. But but for the first 143 episodes, for 95% of them, he would drive from Boston or Great Barrington to Manhattan to record the show. So, like, that was a lot of a lot of work. And I think when he was using, he didn't want to do it. So we did a lot of Skype episodes. And he would get pissed that I would be like, why aren't you coming? The show is bad. 
And um, the night before he died, um, we had this heart to heart because we were fighting so much and I could, he was at his breaking point. And it also had turned out that his sister who kind of does um, peer sober counseling shit, she runs a company that helps drug addicts. Um, I think his girlfriend thought that he was relapsing and called his sister. And Chris was still being monitored by his sister's company. So his sister sent uh, a counselor to their apartment to drug test him, right? So he dr- he gets the drug test and it, it's it's the results aren't going to come in for a day or whatever. And that night, me and him had this heart to heart. And he told me like how much he loved me and how much he loved doing dopey. And like our friendship was like really cemented again the night before he died. And then I guess in the middle of the night, his girlfriend texted me. I'm really worried about Chris. Uh, can you check on him? And I woke up at like, I don't know, six. I actually do now six eleven in the morning. And I saw his girlfriend's message and I texted Chris and me and Chris had a relationship that if I texted him, he just fucking got right back to me immediately. Mm-hmm. So at six eleven, I texted him, are you okay? And he texted me. He goes, uh, I think he said, not great, but I'm alive. A minute later, he texted me that 613 in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, and he's using and he's up, you know, and I woke up. And and then so he said, I'm not doing great. I'm okay, but I'm alive. And that was at 613 in the morning Uh, at around 1030. Me and my wife, who I had gotten back together with and we had had a baby, uh, were walking with the baby to town. And my phone rings and it's his girlfriend telling me that she found him dead. Mm. Um, And I didn't even believe her. I didn't even believe her because Chris, the night before, you know how like we turn people against people like when we're using and he was like, no, she's crazy. She's going to say all sorts of crazy stuff. She's out of her mind. And so when she told me he was dead, I thought she was lying. I thought she was crazy. I didn't believe it. Right. And And so I had a day of, not knowing and then his sister confirmed um that afternoon that he had died um and it was just like and then another thing that i need to say is that i had another friend who was on the show very often who i did tons of drugs with who had died six weeks earlier okay like he turned up dead in his parents house so like when i found out chris was dead it was very hard to believe because I was still in shock of my other friend's death. Mm-hmm. So that summer was like not a good summer. Although we did have a baby and buy a house that summer. Too. <laughs> right. It's crazy. Well, that's the odd and crazy thing about life, and let alone lots of us with recovery where we have that happen, right? We get, we get our blessings and things that come in, but yet it's still out there and looming, and fucking shit, can, it's gone, taken from you like that. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so I have to ask then during that time, what was, what were you doing to make sure you didn't relapse? That's, I mean, those, uh, of course we, we make excuses. People that aren't addicts don't understand our brain will quickly make an excuse that we can't rationalize to go back to numbing ourselves and checking out. I feel like that year, Chris and I weren't, obviously Chris wasn't doing well in his recovery. Like he was not actively participating in his recovery and I kind of wasn't either. You know what I mean? Like we were house hunting. My, my girlfriend, my wife slash girlfriend or whatever you want to call her, my <laughs> partner was pregnant. And I barely went to meetings. Chris barely went to meetings. And when he died, 
I was like, I got to go to a fucking meeting. And I found a meeting. Um, and I, I, I got sober in Manhattan going to a 730 in the morning meeting that met every day. And I found a meeting on Long Island that met at the beach. And it was every day of the week at eight in the morning. And I started just getting back into it. I didn't have any interest in relapsing. You know, I had a little kid at home and I had a kid on the way. And I had, I, I for me, the, the reason that I got, that it worked out was because I was 41 years old and I realized that I wrecked half of my life. And the only thing I had to show for my life was a subletted apartment, a waiter job, you know, reduced custody and like bullshit. So like at 41, I said to myself, I'm never going to get higher than I got, you know, and and I'm never going to get as high as I was. And this is what my life is. And I have no idea what my life could be if I put work into recovery. I was like, so like, why don't I just try that? Because like I had nothing uh, with, with using. And I said, why don't I just try that? So like by the time Chris died. I wasn't like considering using. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not, I mean, like, I don't consider using like my life is so much better. And I only have six years sober at this point, you know, and like, and it's only because I'm sober. Like I, I, it's only because I do, I try to do the next right thing and I engage in the program and I, and I don't fuck that up, you know? So like my life is getting so much better only because of it. So like relapse was not on the table around that. Like I wasn't like, damn, I wish I could get fucked up. It was like, just like, damn, I wish this hadn't happened. You know? Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, I got to ask, you've had some killer guests uh, on the show. Can uh, Some of uh, some of favorites. I know one we've been trying to talk to. You had Danny Trejo on recently. That was Dude, cool you've shit. had, you've had, dude, I've had nothing. You guys fucking Charlie Sheen twice? Are you kidding me? Hey, hey, Char- Trejo's a legend. He's a legend as well. His tacos are bomb. <laughs> and we'll we'll take you there. His tacos are bomb. But you've had some yeah, great wow. guests on. Um you know, uh, uh, you had uh, rumor, right? Willis was on, and um, Scout, no, was. Scout, Scout was on. Was. That's right, Scout. We had some big shots. We had Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, we had Mark Manson. Nice. We had fucking Killer Mike. Nice. We had some good, some good guests. But I, I don't know. There's something about Charlie Sheen that's like I don't know. It's a whole other ball game to me, dude. Was uh, who's my favorite guest that that we've had on yeah, the show? Yeah, some of your favorite favorite memories from the episodes. You know. My favorite memory is it's like not that it's like my favorite memory. Okay. It was like episode 20 and Chris is at my house and uh, we're recording. And the dude who I told you died, the other guy, his name was Todd. Uh, Me and Chris are recording and Todd calls in and I put him on speaker, but I don't tell him that we're recording the show. And he tells me that he just got arrested loitering in a building in the in the projects. And it was like the funniest dopey story. And he didn't know he was on dopey. Like that was my favorite. Cause like half a dopey was the only reason was like my friend Todd, because he was so funny and he did such dumb shit. That, <laughs> like, so like him just being on the show without knowing it was my favorite memory. Um, another one of my favorite, favorite, I mean, the Jamie Lee Curtis thing was hysterical. Because I'm at Katz's. All of our really good guests, I got, except for Trejo, I got at Katz's. Really? I'm at Katz's. Yeah, because I was a waiter and famous people are at Katz's all the time. And and Jamie Lee Curtis is at Katz's. And she's leaving holding a little brown bag. And, like, I run out the back door 
And I wait for her at the front door, like smoking a cigarette, like I'm Bugs Bunny, like posing, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. And, um, and she comes out and I was like, hey, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm in recovery and I do a podcast. And she goes, oh, I'm a dope fiend. And I was like, I know. I was like, would you like to come on the show? She said, yeah. So I, I give her my information and I figure, who knows? Mm-hmm. And I send her on her way. And I told Chris about it. And Chris was like really interested. And his mother was really interested. And that that next day I was off and I was with my little daughter and we're at the supermarket and we're getting dopeypodcast at gmail.com is our email. And we're getting these emails from this woman named Jamie. But I didn't think it was Jamie Lee Curtis. It mm-hmm. didn't say Jamie Lee Curtis, right. whatever. Right. And, um, and she's like, so are we going to do it? And I wrote, what? <laughs> <laughs> And she wrote podcast and I wrote, huh? You know, and then Chris called me and he's like, you're fucking stupid. It's Jamie Lee Curtis. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) So I wrote Jamie Lee Curtis and I told her about the show and she's like, I'm not going on that show. And she, and she bailed because she took her, she took her recovery too, too seriously to come on a show like Dopey. It took Chris dying for her to come on the show. So that was, it's a funny story because I didn't realize it was Jamie Lee Curtis. And then in the end she, she came on the show cause she wanted to, to get her message out there and she was very powerful. Mm-hmm. And then my other favorite one, you ready for my other favorite one? Are you, um, so I'm waiting tables at Katz's. This is like my all time favorite story. Okay. Chris died probably three months before. Like I didn't know how I was going to keep the show going at all. And uh, you know that movie, Beautiful Boy, that came out a few years ago yes. about, uh, it was, it's uh, David Sheff wrote it. He was a, a, a journalist for Playboy, and mm-hmm. his son was this uh, meth addict named Nick Sheff who wrote a book called Tweak. And I've been trying to get Nick Sheff on Dopey. If you guys can get Nick Sheff, I'll be really pissed. <laughs> um, but, uh, but Nick Sheff is a brilliant writer, and David Sheff is a brilliant writer. And David Chef agrees to come on Dopey. And I'm standing by the matzo ball soups at Katz's and I'm like, give me three soups. And then my phone dings and it's David Chef saying he can't come on for six weeks or something. And I'm like, fuck. And I serve the soup and I'm feeling like, what, what am I gonna do? Like, how is this show gonna even exist if I can't get guests? And I go outside, I grab the maitre d's vape and I'm vaping nicotine, you know, on the corner and Mark Marin comes walking down the street. Oh, fuck. like, and I was like, and I was like, holy shit. And I was like, dude, you're Mark Marin. He was like, yup. And I, and I told him about Dopey and he agreed to come on. And, um, and that was like the coolest thing to me. Cause yeah. I love Mark Marin. I think oh, he's great. See, we don't live in a I'm place a... where we can walk down the street and yeah. run into people. <laughs> this is, yeah. Yeah. Well, not the people we want to run There's into. There's a couple like former professional MLB pitchers that live in our town, but that, that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. You got Mark. I'm, I'm also a huge fan. And I think. That's kind of the pain in the ass thing for us is we tend to like, you know, funnel through their people. So Mark didn't directly say no, but his people said no, not interested. It may have been, I don't even remember. He had something going on. I don't know if a special just came out or something, but it's it's kind of that you never know what you're going to get either way too. So, you know, that's that's pretty goddamn cool. I, I, I need to go back and listen to that episode. I didn't listen to that one yet. I like to think It was that- good. A lot of the guests, if we were to ask them personally, they'd for sure come on. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't give it a second thought. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. That are in recovery. But, you know, we got to, like Jason said, we got to filter through the, you know, managers, publicists, all that. 
and it probably doesn't even get to them half the time <laughs> when they pass on it. You want to hear a funny story? I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, like run from run DMC, yeah, yeah. he was at Katz's and I'm serving him and I asked him to come on and he's like, absolutely not. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I will absolutely not go on the podcast. <laughs> but the other day I go to Katz and, um, and I, and there hasn't been a celebrity at Katz's in a long time because of COVID. Sure. And I, and I stopped waiting tables. I started doing like special events and marketing there. And I go to Katz's and and drew barrymore is there oh, and wow. she's uh she's like reenacting the scene from when harry met sally okay for her oh, show right. and um and i'm like fuck i was like drew barrymore is like a fucking dream dopey guest hell like, yeah and and like but i don't want and, and also i had this idea that i would get her in cats's and they would teach her how to cut pastrami for cats's so here it's like when you have these two lives at the same time, I didn't want my boss to see me asking her to be on Dopey. And in the end, like, I didn't ask her. I found out her producer's information, mm. but I'm sure it's going to be that kind of a, of a scenario and it's going to get filtered and it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's, it, it, people, I think, don't realize it's cool to talk with another podcast. It does, you know, try to get the celebrity guest too that – People don't realize this is a lot of fucking work, man. It's a lot of For work. Real. For know? real. It's it's a lot of work and it's a lot of uh, rejection yeah. and a lot of like ass kissing, which I hate the most. Like I hate that. I, I don't, I mean like I'm really annoying. Like at my core, I'm like, I'm annoying as hell. Like I'm persistent and fucking annoying. And um, like I've been writing, you know, Jason Muse from like Jay and Silent yes. Bob. Oh yeah. I've been writing Jason Muse's wife, I want to say for five years. For five years. And I don't stop. I keep writing her because I'm sick. <laughs> I'm like a mental patient. Like I, I, I and I do it with like a lot of people. It took me literally 13 months to get the bass player from the go-go's on Dopey. Oh, like wow. literally 13 months constantly yeah. just fucking annoying people. This dude, the the Grateful Dead manager, I wrote him like a billion times on Instagram to the point where they're just like, I'll oh, come on just so you stop writing. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's like that. And, and the thing about it, the worst piece about it is that a piece of my self-esteem is tied up in them saying yes, no, ignoring me or otherwise. Like that's miserable. Mm -hmm. Like that's like the worst, right? Yeah. Does that sound familiar when, when you send me a rejection text, like they said, no, I'm just like, Fuck it, I don't. I don't even want this prime rib anymore. I'm gonna go. Right, we saw. I was in sales. I've been in sales for like nine years, so I'm used to getting told no. You know what I mean? So when they tell me no, I'm just like, all right, fuck it, on to the next. And what so, do you sell? Oh, I used to sell energy drinks. I no longer do that anymore. And it wasn't Red Bull, Monster, or Rockstar. So if it's anything else people are probably going to say no because those top three, everybody knows what they like and sticks to that. So, I mean, now granted, I did I did well in sales, but I got told no all the time. So I don't take it as hard as Jason does. Like, Jason won't want to eat, and I'll just be like, fuck it, dude. I'll just get their brother or I'll get their, you know, girlfriend or wife or whatever to do the show because I read up on them and they have, you know, addiction issues or mental health issues. It's okay, you know. Paddle out and catch the next wave, bro. Wow, that's a good attitude. I'm like, I'm vindictive and crazy, 
and resentful and like i just like i want to kill people when they ignore me (laughs) and i like leave my mind and then it's like then you you find a way like i i mean like i've done so much 12-step work just through dopey you know what i mean to find acceptance like that things are fine the way they are like i'm very proud of our audience i'm super proud of our show and 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 we put out a good show you know what i mean i just want i want so much i just want everything all the time so it's like super addict shit right <laughs> hand raised on that one and yes right? you, you guys have done and i um i gotta say as someone in recovery that is badass is not only have you put out a great product that brings value to people in recovery or people that, that maybe have a loved one friend whatever it is and they want to stand understand or just be fucking entertained because it is uh but you've built a community around it too that it's really cool to see man and i i just want to give you a huge applause for that thank you i appreciate it the community is like is definitely the coolest part it's like and it, and it's shocking you know like the community is shocking because like basically we we would like make fun of it me and chris made fun of all of it and i would say stay strong dopey nation like i was a preacher you know what right. i mean like i was mocking it and then all of a sudden the dopey nation existed you know what i mean and then when he died it was very powerful like me and chris like we would like compete with who the fans liked more and we would like make fun of each other on the show about it but we never set up a fan page when he was alive because we thought it would be too psychically draining like we thought we'd go crazy with it Mm. and after he died people reached out to me and they said we want to set up a fan page just so we can mourn Chris together. So they started a Dopey Nation Facebook group and like there's almost 5,000 people in it and and they know every inch of the show, you know, mm-hmm. and they and they mourn Chris and um, and, they're, and there's a bunch of people with Dopey tattoos. It's like fucking bananas. That is, man, that's cool as shit. And we all yeah. know who on this podcast who everybody's favorite is. That's it's Mikey. We we all know. I'm the annoying everybody, one. Everybody everybody loves Mikey. <laughs> everybody like lo- Uncle Mikey. I'm blushing, guys. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh it's cuz you don't hear me as much. You don't know me. <laughs> you don't know me as well. So it's like I like that guy. He shuts the hell up the entire time. I don't got to hear him talk. Uh I, I, I should t- I, I, I'm sorry I've dominated this podcast so much I feel self-conscious no. all it's your episode brother it's about you he was talking about me as the one that talks too yeah much. no not you I meant Jason yeah hey, I uh, know I know but you know what I mean you know what I mean uh, hey Mikey what do you do when I talk too much bloop, bloop. <laughs> like fast forward get to the point like okay so I gotta tell you this story and I was driving over here in my car. It's a Ford. You know the seats? I like the seats. It's weird. It kind of hurts. I'm like, what about the fucking story? Get to the point. What about it? <laughs> bloop, bloop. He's That's painting it. a picture. Yeah. I too- don't need a picture. I've been in the museum plenty of times. Just you got here. What happened? Too too much John Steinbeck as a kid. But I'm not like that with Jason. I'm like that with literally everybody and everything. Like we'll sit in meetings and someone will explain something. And I'm just like, fucking Next fast slide, Get to the point. Get to the point. All of this could have been in an email. I'm out. Uh, shit. Well, Dave, uh, before we leave you with the uh, last words and uh, have people tell a little more about the podcast, we like to do some fun random questions. This is just for fucking shits and giggles, so uh, have fun with it. You're up, Uncle Mikey. I'm going to give you the famous Mikey question. I Actually, I didn't come up with it. I read it, but I thought it was funny. Would you rather fight one horse-sized chicken 
or 10 chicken-sized horses? Horse-sized chicken, 10 chicken-sized horses. I'm going to say the 10 chicken-sized horses. I would agree with you. And it's shocking how many people go with one horse-sized chicken. Could you imagine a chicken the size of a fucking horse? It's beak. It's beak alone, dude. You're screwed. You can kick the, the, the little ones. Exactly. You, you just kick them pu- you punt the little fuckers, but if they get you on the ground, then you're screwed. Right. But you ho- just kick them. You just that's where you gotta fucking put the put the boot to the horses. Oh yeah. That's right. Okay. I hear it. And I agree with you. I that's my answer as well. All right. I'm gonna expand just the beak just the beak alone is terrifying. Oh my right? gosh, dude. I- the damn, yeah, yeah. you are fucked. Yeah, you're screwed. Uh, all right, this one I'm going to actually expand on a little bit because you're also a, a film fan. Uh, if a movie was made about your life, who would you want to play you and who would you want to direct it? <sighs> I don't... I, I take that. I take a deep breath because when uh, This American Life did a, did this piece about Dopey... Like oh, that's right. And and they, they said they wanted to make a movie about about it, right? Like I, I had film rights and life rights and all this fucking shit. And, uh, and I don't know anything about actors. Like the only actor that I picked to play me was, uh, Jason Siegel, the dude from, uh, I love, I love Jason Siegel, Sarah Marshall, whatever, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's the guy who I think could play me, but he's not Jewy enough. He'd be <laughs> like a more goy, goy version. Of <laughs> and who would I want? I think I would want Gus Van Zandt to direct. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. That is fucking- or, or yeah, or a young Martin Scorsese. Yeah, uh, Martin at any point is badass though, right? I just hear stories about how he conducts his film. It was uh, um, fuck, I forgot who the interview was with, and just like he's like, "Why did you throw that ketchup bottle? I don't know. The character seemed to throw a ketchup bottle. Good, do that again. This time, don't hit anyone. You know, it's just like he would just fucking let you go and try shit." We always um, talk about who would play, who would act us, but I'm trying to think of who I'd want to direct it. I'd want Tarantino to direct me. <laughs> I love Quentin See, Tarantino. I I was not into the last one, fucking yeah. Hollywood, whatever. Like, I didn't even. Once, love the ending. once upon a time in Hollywood, I loved it. I like the ending. I love I love the dopey shit at the end. Like, at the I end like with that. with Brad Pitt, where he fucks those people up. That, that was great. Uh, I didn't like it mostly. I just, I don't know. Like, I want to like Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. I liked Pulp Fiction. Kill Bill? I loved Kill Bill. Okay. I loved right. Kill Bill. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. shit, if we had, a, like, a bonus episode, we would have to do, like, favorite Tarantino movies in order. with All ten, right? Yeah, ten has been done now. Yeah, real quick about that. What happened? So you did, um, you had a segment on This American Life, which is on Vice? No, it's on National Public Radio. Oh, that's the radio one. Okay, what was I thinking? Was something? Didn't you guys have something with Vice too? Vice TV? Oh no, we had a huge beef with Vice. Oh, okay. I had a friend. I had a friend write an article um, for Vice, Canada Vice, just about Dopey and Dopey Nation, and that was cool. But the, Vice had a show, and I pitched Vice since Chris was alive to to you to like put on Dopey as a show, like a TV show. And they never went for it. And then right after he died, they came out with a show called Dope Sick Nation. And I was like, what? And uh, and so I started this kind of anti-vice beef. 
anti-dope sick nation beef and it got to i I had the woman who hosted dope sick nation on the show Mm. and and i talked to the producers and they said that they didn't steal it from us but come on yeah come on yeah it's also it's also you know quote unquote hollywood the fuck you didn't steal it there's not an original idea there for the most part it's so funny though like of course they I, i don't think they stole it but I, I, I just liked beefing with them. I like uh, getting angry at something. You're a punk, Mikey. All right. If you were stuck on a deserted island and for whatever yes. reason there was a record player and a TV <laughs> or CD player, what album would you bring and what movie? I would bring Miles Davis in a silent way. Because it's just the greatest record. It's the most beautiful record in the world. And um, you should, if you never heard it, it's it's wow. listen to it. It's like it's really trippy. It's two songs and it's really beautiful. And I, it's just been a part of my life in this very special way. Like I love music, but yeah. that record I think is just. It's called In a Silent Way. It's like forty minutes long. It's super trippy. Listen to it early in the morning or late at night. It's weird, but it's good. Really, really beautiful. Right. Three right. keyboard players. Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, and Joe Zawinul. Wow. Fucking, uh, I think it's a beautiful record. It's a beautiful record. Just listen to it. Herbie um, Hancock the movie, one who invented electricity, right? <laughs> Herbie Hancock. Shut the fuck up. That was a Chris Farley yeah. movie reference. What movie was that? Tommy yeah. Boy. <laughs> yeah. It's Herbie Hancock. Everybody duh. knows it's Herbie Hancock who invented electricity. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> That's because of that. Uh, the I don't know. That's because he had Rocket in the '80s. That uh, that weird song, Rocket. Anyway, yeah. movie. I'm gonna say, um, and this is a very controversial choice, and I don't know if it's true or not. Well, but I'm right excited. now, I'm gonna say uh, adaptation. Really? You know that movie, adaptation with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that. Why? I don't know. There's something wrong with me. I don't know. I like that movie because, like, he's so. He, it's so meta it's like it's about him and like and like figuring out like what he's trying to make as he's making it there's just something i don't know there's something i really like about it yeah hey, yeah it yeah. is fucking trippy you're the one on the island brother so the movie's your choice <laughs> uh, i don't know like like i mean the god let's say the fuck it forget adaptation i'm taking the godfather i'm done with adaptation we'll oh. go with the godfather at least that'll kill half your day watching it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would want the whole. I would want the three Godfathers in one. Yeah, I would for do sure. That. For we sure. can we can lump it together for you, my son. We'll do it. We'll do it. Very nice. Uh, Very good. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? <sighs> if I could have one superpower, what could it be? I'm gonna say oh, fucking. Let's say uh, tele- let's say uh, telepathy, mental telepathy. Hardcore, like where I can make people do what I want and shit. That kind of telepathy. That one makes sense right there. Yeah, it's like practical. You will be on my podcast. I will be right. on your podcast. You, you know, you can give me money and I don't have to work in a deli. You know, that kind of, <laughs> really, it's a practical power. Uh, you got one more, Mikey? Uh, when you're, I was going to say, when you're stuck in traffic, what are the thoughts going through your head? But if you're in New York, you don't probably don't drive that much, right? Uh, I'm on the train often. I live on Long Island, so sometimes I'm stuck in traffic. Okay, so what's going through your head when you're stuck in traffic and or traffic or and or on a train? There's only one thought that goes through my head all day, which is how do I get out of my job and do dopey full time? That's mm. the only I have that thought over and over and over and over and over. Goals, That's man. That's good to have goals. Yeah. Just Thank keep, you. Keep, Thanks, keep, Uncle Mike. Keep chasing that. <laughs> 
Uh, Dave, man, this has been a, a real pleasure. We always like to leave the guest with any last, uh, the last words, so to speak, any encouragement. You know, we do have, of course, a, you know, primarily our audience, recovery and mental health, but some people that just get a lot of value out of the show. If you could kind of lend anything from your life experience. Okay, yes, absolutely. Um, the most important thing for me is that, like, I never wanted to be in a 12-step group, and I never wanted to be a spiritual giant or even spiritual. I just wanted to have a nice life. Mm-hmm. So, like, I found that the more work I put into those areas of my life yields me having more fun. Like, so, like, don't be afraid of losing fun. You're going to gain so much fun in sobriety. Like, I think the more – it's like I hate all the, the slogans, but it works if you work it. It's like it finally – makes sense to me because the more work I do in that world, the the more fun I have in every other world. So that's, mm-hmm. and I say, don't give up. Like it might. And, and, but then I also say, be careful because everyone's dying. Mm-hmm. So like, be careful. You might not get the miracle. You might just have to force yourself to do it. Yeah. That's what I say. I don't know what that was a very, it's a very convoluted me- message. I say good luck and have fun. <laughs> hey, I love it. Good luck and have fun. Uh, for more on the podcast, Dave, how do people find you? What are the handles, social media, and everything else? Uh, you can find Dopey wherever you find podcasts under Dopey. <laughs> you know, just type in Dopey and it'll, it'll pop there. up. Dave from the Dopey Podcast. Cool as shit, man. That was fun. Definitely an interesting fella. Had a good time on this one. Yeah. It's 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 good to know we're not the only uh, I- idiots that are also uh, very uh, passionate about uh, people in recovery as well as mental health and trying to deliver, you know, some inspiration uh, through a lot of humor and vulnerability as well. Yeah, no, and uh, definitely good to know that we're not the only people who can be annoying as far as getting a hold of people. So that was, uh, that was nice to hear. Yeah, we can be very persistent. Some of these guests, it take a lot of work, that's for sure. But uh, sometimes things don't go our way. And right? that's totally fine. Life goes on. But we don't blame Mercury in retrograde. Yeah, can we talk about that for a second? Uh, so Mercury Mer- uh, Mercury in retrograde... I got the definition up here, is an optical illusion, which means it looks as if the planet is moving backwards from our view here on Earth. Astrologers believe that during this perceived backwards motion, technology and communication can get disrupted, putting a damper on anyone's summer mood. Summer mood. Summer mood. So people that were using this during spring, fall, and winter can go fuck themselves because it doesn't even happen during that. Does this fall into the category of like people who like ask for your zodiac sign before they even know who it's, you are? It's got to be. And then immediately classify you? That's my out. When somebody asks me what my <laughs> sign is, I'm just like, okay, I'm already over it. Because now granted, my sign, just whatever, I'm a cancer, but I'm also on the cusp of Gemini slash cancer. And people are like, oh, so you're blah, 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 blah. It's like, why don't you just have a conversation and get to know me before uh. putting a complete label on me because of the day I was born. You know, some people are so quick to be like, oh, well, you're this, this, and that because you're a cancer. And I'm just like, I'm out. I'm done. Can't do it. (laughs) Well, I'm a Leo, so a lot of people go, oh, you got to be arrogant. I'm just, I'm not, no, I can't do you. I don't know. Am I an arrogant prick? Do you're, I have you're, tendencies you're to not a prick, prick, but Leo, oh, who was it? There was a coworker of ours who said, such a Leo, because Leos tend to make things about themselves. 
<laughs> yes, you have Leo tendencies. I'll be like, I'm talking about a commercial I didn't like. Yeah, you know, it goes back to me drinking. It's like, gosh, you're such a fucking Leo. I was not talking about you. I was not talking about your drinking, but somehow we're talking about you and your drinking. See, here's the thing that I that, that it is, though, is that I real and I'm doing better. I, I got to admit, our friendship has helped. Cause you shoot it straight. That's why we're good friends. Cause, cause Mikey will tell me to fuck off. Yeah, I, I love you. I love you to death. But I'm like, dude, this isn't about you. Sh- oh. Well, here's my thing, and it's and it's also that desire to be understood that I gotta work on. Is I try to like explain because I want people to understand that like. Okay, it's not like I want it to be about me or shift to me. I want you to understand I've I've felt something similar. You're not alone. Uh, it's more a desire to be connectivity, but I'm starting to realize when somebody don't want to hear it, I do come off as like an arrogant Well, dick. some people just want to vent. I don't want you to relate. I don't want you to solve my problems. Who are we talking to? So we were just talking to somebody about that. We were talking to somebody who was just like, just shut the fuck up. Just listen. Oh, I was I was told I need to shut the fuck up when it comes to parenting because my- Oh, do- I, I believe that 100%. Because I'm cute. <laughs> So, you know, as a father to a daughter, and we are, we are very close, but, um, you know, where she's at in life and everything, and I've had to learn to just zip my lip, and it is the hardest fucking thing. Even if I know for that Leo's. she's wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> for any dad. Like, men, we're problem solvers, you know? And I'm, sometimes people just talk and complain to me, and I'm just like, oh, damn, sucks. <laughs> because sometimes I just don't want to talk. I'm just not in the mood to talk. And I just... I mean, for some people, like if it's an if it's a subject that I'm very passionate about, then yeah, I'll go into it. But you know, if I I read the room, like, do you want to hear my input or are you just trying to vent? Because you can vent, and I'll just sit and listen. Or if you want my input, I'll give you my input. I read the room. I read the person, and I read the room. I'm sorry, my headphones went out. Mercury must be in retrograde. Oh, gosh, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Yeah, that Mercury in retrograde. The I just, or if I see what like crystals. Like all the oh. crystals and stuff, I'm out. I'm out. Can't do it. Yeah, I, I got a few of those. In, in, Not saying anything's wrong with that. You're entitled to your own opinion. You're entitled to, you know, if you want to hold these crystals to make your day go by better or think any less of me because I'm a cancer, hey, that is your right. However, yeah. I'm out. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting fucking thing about the brain, though. It's like our reality is whatever we think. It, it really is. So if someone's like, I rub these crystals and whatever, or you want to blame Mercury being in retrograde for your, your shitty day, I, you know, I guess okay, but there's a point, like... Or you could have just not gotten enough sleep last yeah. night. Yeah, or just take fucking accountability, yeah. Maybe you didn't sleep, maybe you didn't eat breakfast, maybe you're, uh, like, uh, I don't know, someone that I know that just sucks at computers. Yeah, <laughs> no, I fucking suck at computers. I don't let it ruin my day, though. I let it ruin, like, the 20 minutes that it took for me to do whatever... That would have taken Download me it here, a, a minute and a half. There, PDF. Yeah, but it takes me a minute and a half to tell a story. It takes <laughs> you a couple hours to tell a fucking story. Touché, yeah, fucker. so kiss my ass. <laughs> uh, hey, we're excited. We got a lot of great guests uh, headed your way. And uh, next week, a uh, personal friend, gentleman uh, who uh, went through some uh, crazy addiction stuff. His in- uh, story, Jerome Piper, is really inspirational because... Uh, succumbing to his addictions, but he was able to, um, I mean, literally, he talks about his daughter being taken from him from the hospital, 
but now having full custody of her, raising his daughter, being a single dad, and doing amazing work in the uh, recovery community as well as uh, within um, you know different urban communities as well. So very and cool guy, fellow Niner fan as well. All right, he gets a pass with you there. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's Absolutely. Just, he's just cool as shit. So we're looking forward to that uh, next week for you guys. Again, thank you for subscribing to the Knocking Doors Down podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or even get the YouTube link or at uh, kddpodcast.com. And of course, uh, don't forget to pick up your copy of Carlos Vieira's autobiography, Knocking Doors Down, the uh, book that inspired the podcast. His story of falling to a uh, cocaine addiction and his sobriety, what he's done since, and really a story of redemption. So pick that up, and all proceeds, 100% of all sales, go back to the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free program, keeping kids off the streets, involved in activities away from drugs and gangs. Uncle Mikey, you got anything else? No, I'm going home. On that note, keep knocking doors down. Strengthening communities, providing resources, building awareness, empowering youth in need to overcome adversity and achieve success. This is what the Carlos Vieira Foundation is all about. Through our campaigns, the Race for Autism, Race to End the Stigma, and Race to Be Drug Free, we're able to help so many in need. Our goal is to provide support to families and children and give these families opportunities that might not normally arise. Learn more and find out how you can get involved. Visit carlosvierafoundation.org today. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate. We welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.